0: If you'll open your Bibles to Philippians chapter one uh, this morning, we'll continue in our study uh, there today. We're going to be in Philippians verses seven through eleven, um, so you can uh, you make your way there. Philippians chapter one. As you're making your way there, let me just say that the video today, the children's ministry video. By the way, wasn't that awesome? Just what the people are doing in our children's ministry. Just that you guys need to wake up. Wasn't that awesome? It was just a great yeah. All right, here we go. Um, No, man, it's just awesome seeing what God's doing, and I can say that because I really don't have a lot to, to do with what's going on in the children's ministry. We just have some amazingly gifted people that God's called, and they're faithful to the Lord, and we're grateful for it, but the video serves not just as an introduction to you to, hey, what our children's ministry is and what it's doing, and it doesn't serve just as a service opportunity to say, hey, you know, hey, here's what's going on. You ought to be involved, but you know what? It also serves as an introduction to this section of Scripture today to where we're at in our text See, because here's the deal. Our children's ministry, between our, our, uh, our children's ministry, our high school ministry, our junior high ministry, all the kids that God has entrusted to us, uh, they comprise uh, about a third of our fellowship. We have uh, weekly, we're ministering to about 300 kids. And, and it's a huge responsibility. And You know, and God continues to add daily to the church such as should be saved, and y'all keep getting pregnant. Twenty-three women right now in our in our in our fellowship, near as I can count, are pregnant. One of them with twins. So, I mean, you know, it's it's just more and more responsibility to minister to the kids, and you know, and every single one of those kids is priceless, absolutely priceless. I was talking with Pastor Kyle this week. We had occasion to go to a conference, and you know, just several conversations just birthing out of that, and. And Pastor Kyle's our high school uh, pastor, and, and just ministering to him, and, and you know I, what I'm telling him is I'm saying, look, what I want you to understand is every single one of those kids, I want you looking to them through the eyes of how you how you look at your daughter, you know, and, and so I I want your attitude to be such of man, this is this child is precious. I want you caring for him in that way. I want you, them burdened on your heart in that way. And, and see, cause it's like this and, and I, you know, you, you parents can relate to this, but you know, as a dad, let me just talk to you dads for a minute with your kids, you know, think about like with your first, you didn't quite know how to relate to them, you know, at first, you know, your wife's pregnant and so she gets to bond right away, but you don't. You know, it's like, oh, you know, oh, yeah, I can touch the belly. I can feel the baby move. I can see, you know, the images on the screen, all that stuff. But, but, but your chance to bond with your kids, it all starts on their birthday, right? And, and I don't know about your experience. I'll tell you about mine. I, you know, and you know, having been a paramedic, I, you know, actually delivered, you know, a few kids. But, but I was at the birth of my children. I actually almost delivered my son. That's another story. But, but at the birth of my kids... When my first, Megan, was born, it, it changed my life when that child was born. You know, because here she is, she's delivered, and I see this child, and all of a sudden, this depth of, of I don't know, just a flood of emotions, love, and worry, and, and you know, care, and I, I have never loved a human being as much I didn't know it was possible on on such a level. And I am like, man, I will walk through fire for you, child. You know, and it's just this amazing thing. Now hold that thought, just kind of that emotional place. You parents, you're like, I know, I'm right there with you. Stay there with me. We left off in verse six. Now, I come right back to the thought, the feeling. But Paul says this. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right, we continue verse seven, for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in my def- my def- or in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. Captain, run on sentence. Paul, that's one sentence. I can't believe that. Uh, he con- <laughs> he continues, uh, for God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. He's like, man, it's right for me to remember you with joy and to be confident that Jesus has and that he will continue to do a work in you. Because of all that we've been through together, I know that God's going to be doing this stuff. He's bound our hearts together. I've gotten to know you. I've I've given birth to that church. You are my spiritual children. And so emotionally, Paul's got this connection where he finishes the thought by basically saying, God's my witness that I have this longing for you with the affection of Christ. And if you're a note taker, that word affection is is important. It's, it's the Greek word splachna. And, and what it literally means is bowels or gut, right? And what Paul is saying here to, to, these, to, to these Philippians is that as your spiritual father, you guys are just in my guts, man. I just have this thing in my gut to where I just have this, incredible affection for you, this care for you, this concern for you. And just in that same emotional place, where as I described the birth, you know, of my daughter, you can relate and go, I know what it is to have that kind of connection. And let me just tell you now, as a grandfather of three, it doesn't ever go away. It never goes away. Megan, my oldest, you know, I described for you the day she was born. Let me describe for you the day that, my do- my, her, that her daughter, my granddaughter, Willow, my first grandchild, was born. When Willow was born, and, and I was rushing to get up there. She's in Seattle, and I jump on a plane. She's in labor. She has the baby as I'm on final approach to SeaTac, and I race over there. And so I get there after Willow's about an hour old. And I take this child, and, I'm, and all of this anticipation, and I hold Willow, and all of a sudden, this thought dawns on me, oh, for Pete's sake, I got somebody else I got to worry about now, right? And I hadn't even prepared myself for that place, but there she is, and I'm like, bound to this shop. Splochna, my bowels. And this is what Paul is saying to the, to, to what? Splachna, Yes. Just, uh, yeah, all right, well, that's what it is. It's my bowels, it's my guts, it's, man, I'm just everything. And so this is just where Paul is. Paul's in this place where it's like, hey, this is the way that I'm feeling about towards you guys. This is my heart for you guys. And so in that place, just as we have a tendency to do, because we're so passionate about our kids, we have a tendency, some of us are more guilty than, than others of this, but we have a tendency to should on them, right? You should do this, you should do this, you should do that, right? And we're constantly speaking into our kids' lives. A good parent does, by the way. It's a fine balance between nagging and giving good instruction, right? And so a good parent just continually pouring into, ministering to, spurring on, encouraging, that's what a good parent does. And and so here is exactly... Um, you know, Paul, he's in this place, and and what he sees is that he's urging them on towards what's best for them. We pick it up again, verse 9. Here's what he says. He says, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, uh, that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. He prays there that man in this place of, man, I want what's best for you. He says, this I pray. Now, some of your translations may read, um, it is my prayer right? So several of the translations read, this I pray. Some of your translations read, it is my prayer. Either way, it doesn't matter. The, the, the point that I want you to get is that it's written in the singular tense. It's not written in the plural sense. You know, I, I went to have dinner with a friend of mine and his four-year-old prayed for dinner. And as the four-year-old prayed for dinner, she's like, thank you, Lord, for the peas. And thank you, Lord, for the salt and the pepper. And thank you, Lord, as she would look up for the chicken. And thank you, Lord, as she looks up and peeks for for the forks and the plates. And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna starve to death, right? And, she, and as she's praying, just praying for all of these stuff. And of course, we do that as parents. I mean, we pray for everything. But, but there's very specific things that we pray for for our kids. And and Paul, especially, if as just a, a, a clue. As you read through the epistles, you want to pay really close attention to what the apostle Paul prays for because he's very strategic in his prayers. And so we're we're going to just dwell in, we're going to camp out in verses 9, 10, 11 today. Paul's focus, his his lasered bullseye focus is, man, I'm praying that your love may abound. Do you see that there in verse 9? This I pray that your love may abound. That word abound, literally, it means to exceed a fixed number. Now, when it comes to love, God wants our love to exceed a fixed number, right? We understand this. You read 1 Corinthians 13. Love, man, it's patient. It's kind. It keeps no record of wrongs. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. This, there's this, there's this, ex, this exceedingly abounding aspect of love. That's God's heart for us. Jesus told his disciples, hey, a new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How did Jesus love us? It abounded. He, God demonstrates his own love for us. in this: And while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, spitting in his face, ripping out his beard, mocking him, die already, give us Barabbas. He died for us. His love abounds. He said by this, All will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So clearly God wants us to love over and above. God wants our love to abound. And so Paul is saying, I'm praying that your love will abound because what's our tendency? Our tendency is we don't want to extend an abounding love. We want to set a limit on it. We were at a conference this week, and um, it was, you know, it was a conference we were looking forward to. We had some, some good speakers. And, and so we're there, and, and, you know, the main speaker is speaking, and we're, you know, bated breath, taking notes. And this group comes in behind us late, and there are thousands of people there. And so this group comes in. It's a large group, and they are just, they're, they're like a herd of cattle. They're just so loud, and they're, they're talking. They're so rude. And we're like, oh my gosh. Well, this one guy, he parks himself right behind me and he's yapping, he's talking. And he's just, and I'm like, that's one. That's two. That's three. So finally, I, you know, I give him the half turn, right? That, there we go. Don't make me, I'm gonna pull out the half turn on you, man. So I give the guy the half turn. Nothing. That's five. That's six. Six. That's seven. Finally, I turn around to this guy and I, and I just, I don't say anything, but I'm looking at him. I eye, man. I give him the hairy eyeball, you know? He's sitting with his dad. He's interpreting for his father. I felt about this big. I didn't say a word, but gosh, I'm like, are you kidding me? Love is patient. Love is kind. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. 1 Peter 1.22, it says that we are to love one another fervently with a pure heart. That word fervently, literally, it means stretched out. See, and, and we, man, I'm stretched thin, man, and I'm mad, and I'm just about, you know, I want to, uh, no, God's stretching us out, and this is what we're called to. Now, so here's my question. Because we're, we're, we're here, and Paul says, this I pray. And, and you study it, and you go, whoa, he's, this is important. This one thing I pray. All right, Paul, what is it? Well, that your love may abound. Well, okay. Wait a minute. See, because where, where we've been up until this point, what Paul's been saying about these Philippians is that their love has abounded. Right? He's already, he just, I can't stop thinking about you. Every memory I have of you is with joy. You guys have taken such good care of me. You've sent visitors to me. You've sent financial support. You've been nurturing. You've been loving. You've been encouraging. Hey, by all accounts, that is love that has abounded. Right? And so here's the thing. Here's the point. As this love abounds, uh, You go, okay, Paul, you're preaching to the choir here. You're saying that their love should abound. And, you know, they're already characterized as a people whose love does abound. What gives? Here's what gives. The first reason why Paul says this, and this is important for us, is that we grow weary. We grow weary. See, because just because you're doing it good, today doesn't mean that you're going to be doing it good tomorrow. You guys get that? You might be right now in your walk. You might be really, really having success and victory in your life over some area of sin or over some area of temptation. And the temptation in that, in our life, is to coast, is to go, you know what? I've got this handled. I've got this under control. I don't need to worry about this thing over here. Right, and and the the answer would be no, and no, don't don't be careful, be careful. See, here's here's what Paul said to the to the Galatians, Galatians six nine. He said, "Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart." See, we can grow weary in the midst of doing good. Paul warned the Corinthians. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. See, because just because you have a handle on something doesn't mean you still shouldn't pray about it. Doesn't mean you still shouldn't pray for various things in your life. Um, Consider this there are many great men of the faith who've gone before us who were men who had remarkable success in certain strategic areas in their life. And as they had that success in those areas of their life, inevitably, where did they fail? They failed in the very point where they were remarkably successful. I'll give you three examples. One is Abraham. Abraham is the father of faith, according to the Bible. And what are Abraham's monumental failures? He failed in faith. You know, he told his wife, Hey, don't don't tell Pharaoh you're my wife. Lie to him. Tell him you're my sister. He did. He lacked faith. He did that twice. And both times, you know, God had to to pull him out of a very bad situation. And so, you know, here's a guy who's had remarkable success in the area of faith. And yet, that's where he fell. Another example is David. The Bible says David's a man after God's own heart, right? And so this man after God's own heart, this, this godly man you know, has this catastrophic failure with a chick named Bathsheba and they, and they shack up together and he gets her pregnant. Well, she's married to some other guy so he kills him to get away with it. And now you have the man after God's own heart who breaks God's heart through, through horrible, sinful focus and living. Remarkable success in one season of life, catastrophic failure in another happening in this very point. And so, you know, the whole deal there is we've got situations biblically where we had people who were strong in their faith and and who had great success who had a catastrophic failure in the same area. So, you know, the takeaway, and this isn't even my main point, but a takeaway for us today is that, hey, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. What are you strong in? What are you experiencing victory in today? Biblically, the admonition is keep praying about that, man. And we need to pray about everything. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain, which build it. And so we constantly need to be those that that are are praying, Lord, I want to abound. Lord, I want to abound in love, right? Well, moving on from there, and really what I want to focus on, this main reason, why did Paul... uh, have this exhortation for these Philippians. Why was it that Paul said, man, this one thing I pray for, this is the bullseye, this is the strategic thing I pray for, that your love may abound. Well, here's the main reason. Paul prayed that their love may abound because we live in a sinful world and our sinful world is very complicated. And so here's what tends to happen. If we're not careful, we can be led by emotions uh, rather than being led by wisdom. Okay? Let me say that again because we're going to build on this. In any given situation, and, and you need to know this as Christians, that you have decisions that you need to make. You have situations, circumstances, things you need to kind of you know weigh out And the constant question is this, what does love dictate that I do in this situation? And that's the $100,000 question, because depending on where you go to, to sort of answer that question, you may take different avenues uh, of travel, right? And so the, the issue is, what is loving And if you follow your emotions, if you follow your feelings and you do what your emotions and feelings tell you is the loving thing to do, well, it's typically a train wreck. It's typically the wrong thing to do. See, because sometimes because of sin, true love dictates a response that doesn't appear loving on the outside, right? I was watching a news show and I can't remember what news show it was. Um, It's like 2020. It's like one of those kinds of shows. The whole idea of the show <clears throat> was that they were talking about the, the, the generation of kids that, um, that are, are being raised right now that are failing to, to grow up, right? Several years ago, they were referring to them as the, um, the Twixter generation, that they were betwixt and between, that they, were, they weren't kids, but they weren't adults. And they were living in a p- perpetual state of sponging off mom and dad, living at home with mom and dad. And so anyway, they're, 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 they're doing this show and they've got this gal and, uh, and she's got her two boys living with her and to use the name boy is, is uh, generous. These guys are in their 30s. They're living with mommy. They smoke dope every single day. And, and they're, they're bringing home, you know, different gals and, and, and all. And, and there they are. They're in the house. They're playing Xbox. They're eating all mom's food. They cuss at her. They treat her horribly. I'm yelling at the TV as I'm watching this thing, you know. Someone needs to just knock these guys out. And so they, they come finally at one point. The reporter talks to the mom. And he asks her the question, why on earth do you let them talk to you like that? Why do you let them stay here? Why do you let them treat you the way they treat you? And what did the mom say? I love them. And bless her heart, I don't doubt that she does love them. But here's the thing. She's not loving them in an intelligent way. She's not loving them with, with wisdom. She's not loving them in a well-reasoned way. Now, here's what happened, is that she is, is loving her sons to death. Here's the point. For us, if we let our emotions dictate, and if we make decisions that are based on love, what can happen is, did you know that you can love someone to hell? You really can't. It's possible to love someone right straight into hell and so this is Paul's bullseye prayer for these Philippians and and so to answer this he he focuses on two things he says I pray that your love may abound still more and more and here's the first thing that he focuses on he focuses on knowledge I pray that your love may abound in knowledge you might want to circle that word knowledge right there Next to it, write this knowledge identifies boundaries. Here's the deal <clears throat> um, take a river for an example. A river, by its very existence, is something that is very life giving and very beneficial. I was watching a special on the United States, and they were talking about the Mississippi River and the role that it's played in the shaping of the, of the United States. In fact, it was the Mississippi River uh, that, that motivated us as a nation to make the Louisiana Purchase, where we bought the whole middle portion of the United States, parts of, of many, many states now. And the reason we did that was to secure the waterway rights of the Mississippi River because it was alternately owned by France and Spain and so there was this constant sort of give and pull of are we going to have access to this river and are we going to be able and cuz what they were doing was using that river to to transport to the uh, the food and, and all that the, the eastern states were using. And it's a very integral part of the development. So so here, that river is a very healthy part of a growing, vibrant nation, right? Well, last year, that river escaped its banks. There was, you probably saw it in the news. It was the worst flood in over 100 years. And what happened before it was done, that river spilling over the banks caused over 400 people to die. It caused over $4 billion worth of damage. And spiritually speaking, the idea is this way, that knowledge for us, in, as it pertains to love, knowledge is, is like that river in the sense that it establishes boundaries. It says, look, you, the river of your love, if it flows within these boundaries, will be very life-giving and will be very helpful but if it's exercised your love in an emotional way without knowledge, then what's going to be the consequence? Well, it's going to spill over. And what's the knowledge that we're talking about? It's the knowledge of God. It's the knowledge of the Word of God. This is, this is the, the, the big idea. John, The Apostle John said this in 1 John four eight. He said, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, that works both ways. Read it, you know, semi-backwards. You know, he who does not love does not does not know God. Well, he who does not know God does not love. See, the idea is if you want to love somebody in a, in an appropriate way, in a real way, something that is truly love and isn't, you know, something that is detrimental and harmful. Well, it has to be based in knowledge it has to, to, to flow within its boundaries. Um, in the same way, if my knowledge of the word is lacking, if my knowledge of the Lord is lacking, then what's going to happen is when I exercise my love, I'm going to do great harm. I'll give you an example of this. Um, let's use Easter Sunday as an example. I'm preaching on Easter Sunday, and and Easter Sunday is all for the CEOs, right? You guys know who the CEOs, right? Those that come to church on Christmas and Easter only, right? And so you got people who come that just they they they, they check off on the Franklin planner twice a year that they went to church. And so chances are, they don't know the Lord. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. And so I'm preaching the gospel, baby, on Easter Sunday. I mean, every Sunday, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you about God's plan of salvation. And today is going to be no exception. I'm always going to put that out there, but Easter Sunday especially. Now, what is the gospel? The gospel is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Sin is God's perfection, and ain't none of us perfect. And so the gospel says that everybody has sinned. And the gospel says that the wages of sin is death. So if you've sinned, you are going to hell. That is what the gospel says. That's bad news. But the good news is that God loves us so much that he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come to the earth, to live a sinless life, to die a substitutionary death for our sins in our place. And the Bible teaches that God does that by his love and by his grace, that you ain't got it coming, that you don't deserve that, that you don't earn that. That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that it's that we are saved by grace, the grace of God, through faith, not in our works, but in Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross. That's what brings us to salvation. So my knowledge of that comes forth in how I'm proclaiming the gospel to the people that God brings, right? Now, I have a love for the people that come. I want to see them saved. Now, let's say that my knowledge isn't growing. Let's say that I stand up on that platform and I don't have the knowledge of salvation by grace through faith. Let's say that my knowledge is, hey, you know what? What determines whether or not you get to heaven is how many zeros you put on your tithe check. And what determines if you get to heaven is how, you know, many old ladies you help across the street. And what determines if you get to heaven is whether or not you've been, you know, good more times than you've been bad and your good works outweigh your bad works, then that's the way that you're going to get into heaven. And, and here's the thing. The sad thing is that there's, there's churches that are teaching that. Now, the people that respond to that kind of invitation, are they trusting in Christ or are they trusting in themselves? They're trusting in themselves, and so what has now is the guy who's proclaiming that message. is Is he doing it out of love? Well, yeah, but it's a misdirected love. It's just like this old lady who lets her sons live in her house. You know, she is she has the knowledge to know that ain't love, lady. And so in the same way that if I'm not growing in in this knowledge of the Lord, then this exercise, this attempt at love on my part, if I'm telling you to get to God through your works, well, I'm not leading you to Christ. I'm leading you to yourself. And so it's not love at all. At the end of the day, it's hatred. Now, I mean, that's like, wow, that's extreme. But that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Paul's saying, look, I want you to grow in knowledge. This is the thing. I want your, your, your love to abound, and, it's, and, and so you need to abound in knowledge in order for your love to abound. Now, he moves on from there, and he, he says this. He says, I also pray that your love would abound in discernment. You see that verse 9? This I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. Again, if you're a note taker, you could circle discernment. Nearby, you could write uh, sensitive moral perception. That's the definition of discernment. We all know what discernment is. It's sensitive moral perception. What does that mean? In English, please. Here's what it means. Having discernment is, is simply this. It's that we are understanding that sometimes love is going to look different depending on the situation. It's going to be given out. It's going to be meted out in a different way depending on on what's indicated. Sometimes love is encouraging with a gentle word. Sometimes love is rebuking with a harsh tone. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. I want to illustrate this for you. Looking at Jesus. Matthew 16. We're going to pick it up in verse 13 once you get there. Now, you guys will recognize the story. You know it. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And so they said, well, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and he said to him, "'Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, "'for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, "'but my Father who is in heaven. "'And I also say to you that you are Peter, "'and on this rock I will build my church, "'and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, "'and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, "'and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven.'" Jesus lovingly trying to disciple his, his, his disciples, trying to, to lead them on, trying to, to teach them. And so he asks them a question, and Peter gets it right, and Jesus is encouraging him, and in love, blessed are you, God revealed this to you, not by man, and, and this is what I'm going to build my church on. I say, you are Peter, you're a little stone. And, 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 I'm, and on this stone, I'm going I'm to build my church. And, and, and we've kind of perverted that, you know, some denominations to say, oh, well, that means, you know, they're building the church. It's founded on Peter. No, it's not founded on Peter. It's founded on the confession that Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. That's what the church is founded on. That's the stone that God founded his church on. The point being here that Jesus, in instructing Peter, what he's doing here is he's using a soft form of encouragement blessed are you, Peter, you got it right. Yes, that's right, that's good. Now, you skip down a little bit uh, to verse 21. We move on, it says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Now, this is contrary to what the disciples expected. The disciples were looking for a Messiah, And their understanding was Messiah is going to come. He's going to set us free from the yoke of bondage with Rome. And and so now what he's going to do is he's going to set up his kingdom. And we, all of his disciples, we're going to be right there with him. We're all getting corner offices. I'm getting a secretary. Everything's going to be cool. And I'm going to rule and reign with with Jesus. So Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And and Peter goes on to say, it says, verse 22, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuild rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. What he really meant was this ain't happening to us because we got our offices, I got my carpeting picked out, you know? And so you're not going according to, to my plan. So how does Jesus handle this? Does he say, oh, come on, Peter. Hey, listen. No, he says in verse 23, he turned to Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. See, here's my question for you. Was Jesus more loving in the first setting, or was he more loving in the second setting? It's a trick question. He was loving in the same setting. That's exactly right. He was loving the exact same way. The difference was this. He displayed it differently. In one situation, it was an encouragement. In another situation, it was a rebuke. But the motivation of both was love. And that's discernment. That's where discernment's indicated. Now for us, here's what we need to understand. You know, discernment. Using discernment to to bring somebody along. A lot of times in love, by emotion, I might take a, a course, I might take a path that's going to cause someone to, to stumble, to fall, to falter. But the more loving action that I can take is to be patient, long-suffering, encouraging to that person. I had a paramedic preceptor when I was in, in paramedic school. And, um, you know, this... this uh, <laughs> Paramedic school is interesting. You go through, you know, school for a period of time. You're in the classroom, and then they, they set you out on, on patients in the hospital. Slightly more controlled setting, but you get to stick people with needles and stuff. It's kind of cool. And then once you get the hang of it, they put you out in the field. They let you loose on people out in the field. You go, but they put you with two other pre- paramedic preceptors, guys that have been seasoned paramedics. They kind of watch over you. I mean, they watch you like a hawk. So I'm going through paramedic school, I'm in the preceptor time, and, um, and one of the worst things you can do is leave your drug box on scene, right? Not a good thing, your drug box got Valium in it, it's got morphine in it, you got Demerol in it, you don't leave your drug box unattended. Well, one of the guys I was in school with, he left his drug box on scene, right? And so what happened was, they had to, uh, his preceptor has to deal with this, how, what, how am I going to handle this? Well, he could have kicked him out of the program right there. He could have failed him out. That's a that's a failable offense. He didn't do that. Here's what he did: he handcuffed him to his drug box. And so for the next, and the guy was early on in his shift. It was like his third or fourth shift that this happened. You got to do like twenty, twenty-five shifts in your in your internship. It's a twenty-four hour shift. So you you know you're you've been to the fire station maybe not, but you've seen it portrayed on TV. You're cooking. You're cleaning. You're showering. Yeah, this guy's taking a shower with a drug box outside the door, handcuffed to it. You know, his preceptor wanting to teach him a lesson. And see, what he's doing is he's exercising discernment. What is the best thing? What's the most strategic thing that's going to, to bring this person along It's going to teach this person? And so what we have to do, what we have to understand is that Just as Paul prays for the Philippians, I want you to grow in love, right? Through knowledge and discernment. And so for us, it's the same thing. If we are going to grow in our love, we have to have knowledge and we have to have discernment. Knowledge of God and his word and discernment in how to apply it to the various situations that we're going to be in. Let's let's take it home to the church. If I've got a person in church who, and I'll just use this for my setting, but you all got your own settings, okay? Um, let me just sort of prime the pump. If I've got a situation in church, maybe I got, we got a growth group going on, and I've got a couple that's hosting a growth group, and it comes to my attention that their marriage is in serious trouble. And so the way we've got our growth group structured, I've got a host couple, I've got a host teacher, you know, they're a built-in Bible study all together, you know, and so then we publish it, and whoever else adds to it, it just grows from there, and that's what we do all our growth groups, so I've got a host couple, hey, their marriage is hurting, You, you know, probably what I'm going to do in love with knowledge and discernment is I'm going to say what's best for that couple, what's best for that couple is to tell them, I don't want you to host anymore what I want you guys to do is I want you to, I, I want you to go to counseling and, and I, want you to, I want you to sit down and I want you to receive instruction, okay? And so for you, just stop hosting, go into another growth group. Now the people who are around, maybe involved, maybe on the outside, they're gonna go, oh, that's so unloving. Oh, that you would kick them while they're down like that. How unloving can you be, Pastor Ted? I said, no, no, that's, Knowledge, discernment, loving, strategically applied. And I say, hey, they need to circle the wagons right now, man. They need to be loved on. They need to be ministered to. They need to be nurtured. Their time for, for putting out is on hold. They need to be poured into. They need to be loved upon. That's what loving does with knowledge and discernment. Or, you know, another situation. You got somebody come up. Hey, I want to be on the worship team. All right. Go meet with, with Zach. Well, you know, they can't carry a tune in a bucket, you know? And, and I go, oh, but they got a great heart. Okay, but I can't put a microphone on their heart, right? And I got, I got hundreds of people that are coming, and that's going to be a distraction for them. And you go, know, oh, and that's, you know, gosh, that's a gray area, though. I mean, you know, how, you got to make a call knowledge, discernment, what's the most loving thing I can do? I got to do the most good for the most number of people. That by definition is triage. You got to triage the situation. What's the most loving thing I can do? So I can take that person and I can say, hey, look, here's what we're going to do and we're going to do this and we're going to put you here and we're going to, you know, whatever it happens to be. And people on the outside, again, they'll look at that and they'll go, oh, how unloving is that? You know, how, no. Knowledge and discernment. Now here's where it personalizes for you you're like, okay, great, great information, knowledge, discernment, get it. Do you? Because every day we have to make decisions about what is the most loving thing I can do. And you know where this manifests itself the most? Manifests itself with our kids. I tell people in our Growing Kids God's Way class, you know, when your kids are this big and at the end of the night you can lock the door and they're inside, that's a great thing. But the day is coming when you will lock your door and they ain't inside anymore. And that's a scary day, my friend. And so, you know, you get to the place where you have to make these decisions about, oh, I'm loving my kids, but I'm seeing them do these things and they won't listen. And what a, and man, that's where it becomes so important, Christian, that you know what God's word says. Because if you're left in that day without having a solid, firm foundation of what God's word tells you, this is the compass that leads to life. And so what you can do is you can follow this compass or you can follow this compass that's in your gut, that's in your heart and the compass that's in your gut and it's in your heart, it lies to you. It leads you astray. Your emotions say, oh, I'm going to let my 30 year olds live at home and smoke pot. No, that's a train wreck. And that one kind of, you know, that's real easy to see. You would think. But the issue is, man, no, I can't do this. I have to make sure that I'm, I'm growing in the knowledge and the discernment that God is going to provide. Now, this brings us to the outcome. It brings us to the place where I have ability to know if things that I do in the name of love, if I apply knowledge and if I apply discernment, then I will have the ability to know if those things that I do in the name of love are approved by God or if they're offensive to God. Look at verse 10, uh, back in Philippians 1, as we're gonna draw to a close. Paul says, that you, or really more accurately written, in order that you. In other words, he says in context, I'm praying that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and discernment in order that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense Till the day of Christ. Now, there's two words I want to point out to you in closing. One is the word approve, the other is the word word sincere. In verse 10, approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. How do we do that? Man, by applying knowledge and discernment. And what's the deal? that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere without offense to the day of Jesus Christ. So what is this word approve? If you're taking notes, that word approve, it's from metallurgy, which if you're like me, you gotta look that up. What is metallurgy? I thought I knew what it was. I actually was right, but I wasn't sure. Metallurgy refers to the production of metals and that's where that word approve comes. It's it's a metallurgy term that, that Paul is using. And what it specifically refers to is when you produce metals, they have to be tested. And you have to know, is that metal strong? Is it sound? Is it solid? Is it unflawed? And so there's a testing that's required. And so this is the same with us. We want to be able to test the people and the situations that come to us, that come at us in life, and we need to be able to answer the question, okay, What would biblical love dictate in this situation? What would biblical love dictate in this circumstance? Not only that, but Paul says that it's going to make us sincere. That word sincere, again, cool word, very descriptive if you want to write this down. It means literally without wax. And, and here was the use. See, what would happen in this day and age is you would have somebody who would make a vessel, uh, a, 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 a disreputable merchant, and they would try and pass the, the, this, this vessel, a vase, let's say, or a pot. They would try to pass it off as though it was perfect, as though it was intact, and everything was good. But in actuality, it would have a crack in it. And so what they would do, these disreputable merchants, is they would take wax and they would mix it together with clay and they would put it over that crack. And so then they they would present it to you. And if you really didn't look that closely, you might be fooled into thinking, oh, this is a good vessel. This is a perfect vessel. But if you held it up to the light, well, then you would go, oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. This thing, this this is... this isn't sincere. This is with wax. This is this thing is broken. And see, so here's the deal. And I just draw it to a close with this. We have to make these decisions every day. What's the loving thing for me to do here? And and it and it has a twofold application, the urgency of why we need to do that. The first is because you can love somebody to hell. And you can have somebody in this metallurgy sense that it's like, man, this isn't, this isn't approved. And I can, I can be dealing with a person, I can be dealing with a situation where it's not sound, it's not solid. And, I, and in my emotions, I want to do one thing, but knowledge and discernment would say, no, you handle it this, this way. The other application is this sincerity. I'm going to give an account to God and so are you. We're going to give an account to God. And the the issue is, because Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hinge all the law and the prophets. Really, the entrance exam into heaven is, how did you love? Did you love Jesus? And did that love manifest itself in your life? And so God is going to examine you. Are you without wax? And so there is this burden Close with this story. Um, there's a guy named Jim Simbla, He's a pastor in New York City, and maybe you've heard of him. And years ago, he gave this incredible message, and it's been shown. You know, many of you have seen it. And it was a message on prayer. And really, what this message that he gave was was him just sharing his testimony. And his testimony, just to cut it short, was this: his his daughter Chrissy had gotten away from them. She's now a young adult. She thinks down is down, or down is up, and up is down. He says. She's gotten into drugs. She's she's just completely gotten out there. And Jim said, I did everything to reach her. He loves her. He'd walk through fire for this girl. I did everything. I begged her. I pleaded with her. I bribed her. I did everything I could, he said. And finally, none of it worked. And so you know what he did? He kicked her out of his house, and he wanted nothing to do with her. He said, I will not see her until she's right. I'm going to pray for her. And the world would look at that and go, Oh my gosh, dad, where's the where's the long suffering? Where's the love, Jim? He said the love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Where when Paul was confronting the church at Corinth, and there's a guy there, he's caught up in sin, and he's he's got this gross sexual sin that he's involved in, and and nobody's calling him on it. He's trying to love him through it, man. Kumbaya, we love you. Come to church. He says, kick him out of church. He won't respond to rebuke. He won't respond to correction. He won't get his life right. It's time, my friend, for you to go. And the world, again, would look at that and say, you call that love? Well, yes, he does, because Paul said, look, I'm gonna kick him out. I'm gonna turn him over to Satan, is what he says literally there, for the purpose of the destruction of his flesh. But the hope, he says, is that his spirit would be saved, right? And so the idea is, there reaches a point where love says, "You listen, you want to live like that and you want to rebel against all sound wisdom and instruction, then the most loving thing I can do with you is to kick you out. The most loving thing I can do is tell you that when you repent, I stand here ready to reconcile. I stand here ready to receive. I stand here ready to redeem. But not right now, not under these circumstances. Love says it's time for you to go. And so I don't know what your situation, I don't know what your circumstance is today, but as we partake of communion today, we are celebrating the love of a gracious and merciful God. But we enjoy this celebration and we enjoy his love on his terms, not on ours. And God's terms are that you surrender, that you give up, that you make him Lord, that you yourself give up all of your rights, and you say, Lord, I'm going to trust in you. And outside of that, there is no relationship with God that we can have. And that's not because God isn't loving. He's so loving, he gave his son to die. That's what this is all about. And so as we partake of communion today, great reminder, God loves us enough to do everything he can, but it requires a response on our part. And so as we partake of communion today, we remember God's love and I encourage you to prayerfully consider, Lord, what is the knowledge, what is the wisdom, the discernment that I need to be that vessel of your love in my life? Amen?